Hello and welcome to the week of work. I'm your host this week, David Gibney, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Glenn Fitzpatrick and Michelle Byrne. Um, the week of work is part of Left Block, an alternative media and education project. And if you want to support us or find out more about us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash left block or go to the leftblock.ie website for our sister podcasts and some news articles as well and opinion pieces. Um been a big week for for one organization, I suppose RTE this week. Um, it's, it's, as they call it, the silly season when it comes to the media. There's not a lot of politics going on, but we are coming into budget season too. So there's a lot of prep work going around um, that stuff as they've done for the last nine years, preparing for tax cuts. So maybe we'll get into a conversation about some of this stuff. But um, I'll go to you, Glenn, actually, first to see what you've been looking at there. Um, we haven't had a show in two weeks, so feel free to throw in anything that happened the previous week as well. So, um, Glenn, any observations on anything that's going on? Um, I have a few. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, folks. Good to see. Good to hear from you. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it's supposed to kind of have to start with RTE, don't you? But look at we're a small independent alternative media platform. We can speak freely about some of these things. It's kind of funny in a way. You're listening to you know the likes of Brendan O'Connor and Claire Byrne, and they're trying to talk about stuff going on in their own house. Like they took their own houses on fire, and they're trying to talk about you know the the various uh, the the bits of business damage that's been done. So maybe we can speak a bit more freely, but. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it's it's probably a shame we spent the whole week talking about RTE, considering that we've got record homelessness, um, that the the stuff around kind of the the neutrality seems to have fallen by the wayside. But I mean, not to trivialise. I mean, that's it's it's super important what's going on in RTE. Um, I think there's several layers to it. I mean, I come from a media background, and we we're always taught like you know public service broadcasting. It's not perfect, but it's still a space that needs to be protected. Um, and I I I sort of believe that up until a point, but um. I mean, it's very, very difficult to see where RTE comes back from this now. I mean, their reputation has just been dragged to the absolute dirt. Um, I don't know what it would take to rebuild any semblance of of, of public trust. There's talk about potential collapses in uh, funding for programming, uh, sponsors pulling out, although maybe the sponsors shouldn't have been there in the first place. Uh, but I think it does hint at the need of you know a real conversation about the role and purpose of, of public service broadcasting in this country. Probably needs to go completely root and branch, which, I mean, we're not really good at doing that in this country. Um, but I suppose in circumstances where we'd be critical enough of, of bias in RT anyway, I mean, you can see the protests there during the week. Uh, the reporter standing up and saying, you know, this is going on when you know we can't get crews in the Midlands, when we've got uh, you know, people working 12-hour days to put together, you know, really demanding levels of programming for, for their top stars. Um, but it just sort of feels like already, like the, the kind of we're falling back into this, you know. Well, who do we, who do you blame? You know, is it Tuberty, is it Forbes? Is it the board? And I mean, it kind of then, you know, you end up not having a look at the underlying structural factors or the systemic issues. Um, and obviously, I think it's just, you know, if, if we're going to talk about public service broadcasting, it has to be about democratic control, has to be about, about a plurality of voices. Um, and I mean, some of the practices in there, Seamus Dooley kind of caught them well on Friday, sort of saying, like, I mean, these are the practices that were there 50 years ago. Um, and and I suppose he says you don't need to form a, a review to, to 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 find out what's wrong with RTEs. It's just ask the workers there. Yeah, and uh, one of the things because you're getting into the historical stuff around this it was um, in the in Sunday Independent today. There's a, a piece talking about how the con- controller and auditor general was removed as an oversight body for RTE back in 1990, and it's been this um, neoliberal push to decentralize everything and outsource responsibility for everything that came from the likes of the progressive Democrats, Fine Fall and Fine Gael. And um, oh that we, we the government has no oversight of that. 
RT is an independent body. RT needs to look after that. Whereas it's actually the government that brings in the law that forces us all to pay for a TV license. So it is, well, they say it's not funded from the public, you know, it clearly is funded by the public and there should be that level of accountability. So I know, I think it's Catherine, uh, I'm not sure if it was the SOC Dems or who it was, but somebody's making the proposal that the controller and Auditor General again gets to come in and have oversight of RTE's finances. But um, I think there's a cultural thing here, though. It's not just RTE. I, I suspect there's a lot of semi-state bodies and um, that are operating in a similar way with barter accounts. And um, I do think there's there's something in one of the papers. I must go, must go through it in a minute. Um, I mean, that's the broader socio-economic context of this entire country, though. You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. FAI uh, was 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 the big, you know, one a couple of, a couple of years ago, and now yeah. it's RTE. And if it's not if it's not RTE, it's the HSE or it's some Irish some, Water. Yeah, Ishka Aaron, I think it's called now. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, brand sorry. has been very effective, you see. Yeah, but 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 all of those because uh, I was actually reading up on some of the historical stuff about Irish Water recently, and you know all those scandals that occurred around you know gym memberships and senior executives pay and bonuses and all that sort of stuff before the before the organization had even been established like all this stuff is we all know it happens it's just when people get caught out that's that's when there's a big a big uproar around it but no it's that this barter account stuff is just fascinating that they thought you know they could it was okay to fly people to south africa to go to world cups and then there's you know um what was it? There was a Champions League final because it's really important that these executives are over at Champions League matches as well, you know. And um, but no, full well, transparency. They even mentioned the League of Ireland and their sports bulletins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this is it. Like, it, it, so as you say, the, it's sad that it's happened because I'm a big supporter of public service broadcasting, a huge supporter, as I'm sure we all are here on this podcast, right? But it has to be done right. And to be honest, in recent years, it's been very difficult to distinguish between the corporate media and RTE um, and hopefully this will rejuvenate but but the, the big thing for me now is how you know the question is asked in both the Sunday Business Post and, and the Sunday Independent today uh, how does RTE go forward because we're going to see a flood of people refusing to pay for their TV license so you know their way out of this in terms of public trust is difficult but financially they're in a spot of bother now as well and commercially you know the advertisement revenue is probably they might lose Ronald they might lose some of the other sponsors of programs but, you know, arguably, we need to go down the route of the Australian uh, ABC system where um, it's funded through general progressive taxation and not through um, a regressive, you know, TV license charge where if you're one of those who, and we'll get to this report in a couple of minutes, but if you're one of those who are on the median wage or below it in Ireland, which is coming out today from the CSO, I think it was, CSO figures, um, 26,000 euros is the median wage. So 50% of people in this country earn less than 26,000 euros. And they're paying the same fee as somebody who's like Ryan Tuberty on almost half a million euros. So that's a completely regressive system. And we need to revise how we do public broadcasting in this country as well. So I, I don't know, Michelle, do you want yeah, to? But at the same time, you have the writers in the business post talking about, you know, inflationary adjustments to this regression as you say a, a fee that isn't working but they're saying oh just increase that fee to adjust for all of you know all of this restructuring and then the other thing as well is they're talking of floating this question of like how do we reduce costs but you know we're hearing reports now of maybe redundancies coming down the line we're not actually talking you know and a cap of you know one hundred and seventy thousand for some of the big stars god help them but like 
you know, we're we're talking about 400 job losses potentially here on the line as well. When we're talking about this could be used as an opportunity now to just cut jobs and really restructure in a way where that won't be the benefit, as you say, for public services. And we're hearing from workers, some of the lower paid workers about, you know, the demands of the job and, you know, working extra hours for like very long shifts for a lot of these shows. Um, and at the same time, then the, the, bi- the big money isn't going there. But like if we're talking about redundancies, people are already over capacity in some of these roles, some of these lower paid roles. Um, and it'd be worrying to see where that goes and if this is going to be used as an opportunity to like restructure in a way that's going to be a huge amount of job losses as well so I think that's important to flag because it's actually not mentioned in the business post that I was reading today and as well as that and you know it's a bang it's a drum that has been banged quite a bit by um the echo chamber podcast martin um from from there um th- with the self the bogus self-employment that was going on in there which obviously a lot of it was to benefit these big stars who you know d- you know which we're seeing now but uh, you know it also has detrimental Im- impacts to workers when it comes to access to sick pay access to maternity pay you know those lower paid workers who are already on the lower pay doing the longer hours um and not getting um Get, not getting those those key kind of work conditions and pay. So, yeah, you know, that's kind of concerning as well. And again, that has not been mentioned mm. in any of the reporting here. So, you know, very selective reporting um, from the business posts. Yeah, it, it's, um, it is a fascinating context when you bring it in. Like, I think it was Philip Boucher-Hayes who did reports on all of the bogus self-employment that was going on in, in RTE several years ago. And of course, very little has been done about it. But also, Conor McCabe... Um, did a good bit of research over a decade ago around the companies that are run by the big stars in there. Like, so Joe Duffy's company is called Clad- um, Green Productions. He named his tax avoidance company after the public housing estate that he grew up in um, that was paid for by taxpayers. So the irony of all of this, and then um, uh, Miriam O'Callaghan's, I think it was called Baby Blue Productions. So you have all this bogus self-employment at the top and then you have like so the bogus self-employment in terms of pretending that they're not employees so that they can avoid paying taxes by being paid as a, as a corporation. And then at the other end of it, and I used to live with a cameraman who worked for RTE and he was on a zero-hour contract um, himself and couldn't guarantee what what hours he'd have from week to week. Um, so you had, you had the extremes on both ends. It was used uh, by RTE to batter staff on one hand and then on the other hand to incentivize them. And there's a talk there's talk in one of the papers today, I can't remember, I've read so many RTE articles over the last 24 hours that like I'm, I'm losing track of who who said it, but like, there's a, they're saying that they're going to get rid of those companies now. They're not going to pay them and uh, you know they won't be dealing with agents anymore um, as a result of this scandal. But the, to get rid of those companies means that you know Joe Duffy and all the rest of the lads will have to be paid as employees and pay taxes at the 40% rate. So you can imagine the deluge of, of conversations that we're about to have in the run-up to this budget about how desperate we are all are for tax cuts um so uh, i'm not that's not my seg- segue into the discussion around um the budget but uh it, it's interesting i'm going I'm to be paying close attention to what the conversation becomes over the next couple of weeks as these superstars on rt are being transferred from being corporations into being employees like the rest of us so and um, does anyone else want in on the RTE stuff? Are you fed up with it? Just think it's hilarious that the the biggest story in the country for weeks on end before this was who's going to take over the Late Late Show. I mean, like the Business Post ran it one Sunday as their as their their front page story. Like, mm. I mean, it just in te- in terms of how much RTE has prioritised kind of celebrity culture and sensationalism uh, over genuine public service broadcasting. 
little bit of chickens coming home to roost. Yeah, it's um, it, it it was interesting to see that Ryan Tuberty actually knew that this was on its way out, more than likely about to come out before he decided to step down from the late late. So, um, yeah, it's interesting the timing and all of this stuff. Um, but I, I did also see an article there that um, and again I've got so many articles in front of me that I can't figure out which one it was, but. Simon Cogby's brother works for RTE. He's a senior executive in there as well. Anyone come across that? Um, I think he might have been at the Joint Directors Committee hearing too. But like the the, the political establishment in in Ireland and the way these yeah. things work is just it's so it's so mental to see you know it's a Venn diagram. It is, isn't it? It's just crazy to see the connections that all these people have, and then you wonder why. Uh, certain political parties get battered and other political parties get a lot of sympathy. So um Christmas at the Covenies would be fun, isn't it? But the other fella isn't is uh high up in Green Car as well, isn't he? Is he? God. Yeah. Just 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 all luck. Do you know what I mean? This is just a hard working family that just happened to get to the top of all of their respective spheres um and to be one of the most influential families in the country. And look, it's not just about the Covenies, it's about all of them. There's the, the, this stuff pops up everywhere. Oh, he's the brother of him or he's the sister of him or something, something some there's some connection all the way along the line, you know. So um what other stories then do you guys have? Well, just on that, and I know you said it wasn't a segue into the budget discussion, but at the same time it is, <laughs> um, because I'm sure they will be looking for those tax cuts. But luckily enough, it just so happens, and maybe someone can draw a Venn diagram to who these are connected to, but um, M- Michael McGrath and uh, Pascal Donoghue are talking about one billion uh, in tax cuts out, um, as part of a, a kind of a five million spend in the budget um, coming up. So they're kind of deciding what the parameters are now this Tuesday. So they're, they're it's front page news, but it's so cynical, this whole budget piece. Like it's, it's they're not even pretending anymore. Mm. But the whole point they're saying of this budget is to woo back voters. Like that is in black and white in the front page. We're just using this to woo back voters that we've lost through all of the other like shy things that we've been doing over the last number of years because the elections uh, for for the locals and um, Europeans are coming up uh, next year. So we're going to use this. We're going to politically you politically campaign using this budget um, in order to win back over votes. Um, and never mind what's actually good for the public and what we actually need as society. We're actually just going to use this cynically to buy votes. Um, so this is where you're coming from the whole one budget and one one billion in tax. Um, tax breaks, which includes, of course, the tax breaks uh, to be introduced for private landlords. Um, no surprises there. Um, you know, income tax cuts as well. It's been mentioned. Um, and of course, amazingly, uh, we're giving more money to the Land Development Agency when only last month we were hearing of the underspend in housing of one billion over the last um, couple of years. So it's it's uh, amazing to see that you know the. You know, just last month we were reading articles saying the land development agency is failing, but the government is like, you know what, have another billion there, um, or set. Oh, sorry, tripled to seven billion. They're tripling their 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 funding potentially to seven billion. Um, you know, and of course, then we have um talking about investments and stuff like that as well. But you know, they have the the, the at one in one 
uh, kind of breath they're saying oh we're using this to politically campaign essentially and then the other side oh sure we'll help households under pressure nothing in this is telling me that, that they're helping households under pressure they're helping landlords um, they're you know they're cutting probably high uh, income tax brackets um, so I'm not sure what that what what exactly they're they think they're helping there as well um, and again they're starting to talk about this um you know the the economy overheating. Like I love when they start using it. It's gonna oh, it might overheat if we spend too much, and it might you know might be unbalanced. But like what 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 are they talking about? Like it's already unbalanced. Like we have one percent. The top one percent in Ireland own twenty seven percent of the wealth, and the top ten percent own sixty four percent of the wealth. Um, and then you see that the bottom fifty percent of the country own one percent of the wealth. Is any of that in the article? Absolutely not. Because what does unbalanced actually mean? Unbalanced for the people who are who are making absolute serious profits off this and again like we have we have this uh economic experts quote unquote the fiscal advisory council central bank and the ER, dsri have all come out and said don't spend too much now lads because you'll cause inflation to rise but we don't when we hear about um you know the blame for what inflation r- r- rising is for it's never the lads here uh spending on tax cuts it's always the workers asking for pay rise so i just think it's very ironic that you have three bodies here saying like this is actually going to cause further inflation if you do like if you do this and um, but at the same time they're very very happy for workers to take the fall on the blame for inflationary increases which we would hear anytime anyone goes out on a strike looking for decent wages um in in relation to kind of cost of living increases and everything well, I, I have a big bugbear about this tax cuts agenda, which has been going on now. Um, I think I said it earlier, nine years they've been pushing tax cuts, um, you know, since before we, we, we emer- so-called emerged from the, the economic crisis. Like the first year they brought in a 405 million, uh, million euros tax cut predominantly targeted, well, not predominantly, entirely targeted at the top 17% of earners. The following year it was 800 million. Um, and over the next couple of years after that, it was over 10 billion that we've given in already in tax cuts, including those tax cuts that are aimed specifically at corporate executives, the likes of the KEEP scheme, key employment engagement program, the SARF scheme, the special assignee residential program. All these tax cuts are constantly coming in at the same time that are, as Glenn has mentioned, that our homelessness figures are going up. And it's no coincidence. We're choosing tax cuts over investment in capital infrastructure. We need more public housing in this country. We need more investment in our public health care system, better investment into um, education. And yet the, the, the narrative from the media, again, is tax cuts. Now, they are saying there's going to be big spending and all the rest of it, but we'll see what type of spending it is, because generally it's not capital expend- expenditure its current expenditure so it's no benefit um, in the long run to us but you know at a time when we need huge investment in public transport in particular we're going after tax cuts again so it, it's very frustrating to to see that as the front page of the sunday newspapers again uh, um, and it's going to be the first of several i would argue in the run-up to this next budget in a couple of what be two mm. three months out so you know they're getting in early here yeah and, and even I- the, sorry no, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. I mean, the report kind of characterizes, in the business post, kind of characterizes as <laughs> Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael loggerheads over some of these things, you know? Um, mm. And you just be like, you just be, are they, are they, are they, is it like they're arguing over, are we having Coke or Pepsi, you know, in, in the shop? Or like, what do you make? Is there, is, how much of a struggle is actually happening between Pascal and, 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 and Michael? 
there's no Should, struggle. They they have to have to make it look like a fight so people pretend that they they're different. Um, you know what I mean. But mm. at the same, just pick up on your so what you were saying, Dave, there around the the kind of the transport projects and all of that, like need for public transport. There's a story as well in the Business Post talking about, and it's essentially again this demonising Eamon Ryan because God forbid, uh, you know you you put public uh, transport on the agenda. But the the, the term green handcuffs put on transport was being used by the Transport Infrastructure Ireland uh, chief, which is like, you know, this is some serious lobbying. But essentially what he's done is he's given, he's he's playing into the local politics of roads and he's given 10, the name, the names of 10 projects that he believes that Eamon Ryan is deliberately blocking so that local TDs will go and cause absolutely ructions um, on trying to get local roads and the local areas, all that kind of for votes again. But like the fact that he's willing to do that just to, because he, he thinks that Eamon Ryan is blocking roads projects because they're trying to, uh, move money into the public transport side of things, but I just thought that was very, very again cynical that you, that they can that he that they, again this chief who's just like oh well my projects aren't moving along so I'm just going to cause absolute chaos now tell all these local TDs to get behind this now and like cause rife and the whole rural urban divide thing has been played out in the story as well like rural people are you know incensed at this uh, that we wouldn't have roads but like rural people probably are very incensed as well around the need for public transport in those areas but like we don't not really talking about that either you know um that's where the lack of tra- public transport is happening i know i'm pretty incensed that it's living outside of dublin but anyway yeah just on the aim and ryan stuff let's stick to this for a second because uh there's another article there by daniel murray in the business post it was only a matter of time before ireland was sued over energy treaty i don't know if either of you saw that one but um very interesting piece lansdowne oil and gas PLC is to launch a 100 million proceedings against the state after Eamon Ryan refused to grant a further exploration license for the Barry Road field. The Irish government can't say it wasn't warned, is how Daniel Murray uh, introduces the article. But basically, it's the first case by a fossil fuel company in Ireland to seek damages uh, under the Energy Charter Treaty. Um, and this is the same type of treaty. So it, it's a treaty that allows corporations to sue governments for policy decisions around energy, including climate-related decarbonisation plans that might impact on their profits and their future profits. So it's very close to an ISDS that we saw in the TTIP and the CETA um, treaties that were being negotiated and pushed. And I, you know, when I was reading through this article, I was just like thinking to myself, how do people not see what Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and, and, and the other parties that supported those two um, treaties? How, how do they, you know, logically still stick to the idea that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are on the side of the rest of us when they're in Parliament, not just Irish Parliament, but the European Parliament, voting for treaties that are going to allow multinational corporations to sue the Irish state um, for loss of future profits if we try to save the planet? from being inhabitable like <laughs> it's just it's mental to think that there's people going in there and they have children themselves and they're voting for treaties that are going to make it impossible for us to do anything to tackle climate change in a really effective way here we have an oil company Lansdowne oil and gas plc you know uh, must have been set up by some rugby fan or something right Lansdowne oil and gas plc suing the Irish state for future profits, not that they made a profit now. Like, I'm sure Lansdowne Oil and Gas, when it was established, knew that climate change was on the agenda, that there was going to have to be policies that came in. But yet, 
here they are saying they're going after Eamon Ryan for blocking um, the, they're saying Eamon Ryan mm. blocking it, but it's not actually him blocking it. They're saying it's nothing to do with decarbonisation, which is actually fucking wor- more worrying that the Irish state's response is that, no, no, this is nothing to do with decarbonisation. We're just not giving you a licence. Like, we don't care about decarbonisation. We're not really committed to that sort of stuff. That's that's the angle that the department is giving in response. They're saying this is nothing to do with the decarbonisation plans that the Irish state has. This is just saying, no, you're not getting a licence. So sue away, lads. So we could be on the hook on the, in that case for you know 100 million euros of, of penalties to pay to a company that is losing future profits. Mm. Future profits. I mean, imagine me going to my employer and saying, I want you to pay me for future work that I might have done had you not been a shithead to me. Do you know, the, it, it's just nuts that, that, that we allow corporations to have that scope to make money for stuff that they haven't actually done. I mean, uh, I don't know, has anyone... And like that, that whole that whole idea, right, that as, as you say, it's, it's completely around profit. So, you know, people, the companies that are aiming to make profit can sue the government for profits they might lose. And it's going to be used um, around a lot of climate policy, I would imagine, is where we're going to see this, you know, a, a lot, obviously, with the energy treaty, for example. But yet, can we sue? Can we sue the government for policies it's putting forward in relation to, like, the deaths it's causing, for the lack of action it's causing? Like, it's just bizarre to think that because someone wants a bit of money, they can sue our government because they're not making profit. But at the end of the day, the, the decisions that they're making, the actions that that company is going to take is actually going to result in, you know, far worse uh, climate destruction. And yet yeah, we can't do anything about that. We have no recourse. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just mad to think that that can happen. The balance is so it's so unbalanced. Yeah. Well, Glenn, have you got anything on that front or any other stories you want to jump into there? No, no, just, just to, I mean, like, it's mad how much, like, corporations are, like, woven into the fabric of the state now that, like, this this is just seen as absolutely normal behaviour, you know? And, you know, somewhere, in some departments, I was like, oh, yeah, well, these are the wealth creators, these are the, the job creators, and they might give us a, a few a few kicks here or there, but ultimately that, you know, they, they'll do right by us, Um, and how much that just prevails Um, at, at, at state level and at policy level is is, is frightening, like, yeah, well, related to, to this, I suppose, and we might have a little discussion around it, but this new poll that's come out today, um, the Ireland Thinks one, um, I don't know if you guys have been looking at any of that, but it's saying poll reveals Leo Varadkar is still the Fine Gael favourite. Um, and then there's other questions that were asked on it as well, but I'm trying to find the actual poll results here and I can't see them maybe. It's offline, but um, the decline in support for Fine Gael from 20% to 19% falls within the margin of error. But interestingly, what's really fascinating about that is it's the lowest Fine Gael has ever polled um, uh, since they began polling in this particular poll, uh, the Sunday Independent Ireland Thinks Opinion Poll. Uh, now, that's only seven or eight years, I think, since they launched it, but it's it's a huge uh, result on one, probably the wrong term to use, a huge result in terms of Fine Gael's decline, and maybe that's why we're talking uh, about huge tax cuts coming up for the, the the voters that normally vote for Fine Gael. But I do find it quite interesting. The other thing is, um, and I haven't got it in front of me, so this is, oh yeah, they're record lows um, also for the Labour Party, 2% in this opinion poll. Um, they're not getting anywhere. 2%. 2%, yeah, incredible that they're down that low. Like if there's a, the aim to are higher than them, they're at 3%. Like that is significant. Hmm? That two percent, they must all work in the bloody trade union movement. <laughs> Possibly, 
Um, but I'm just looking at it and the Green Party are still ahead of the Labour Party. Like, you know, this is a party that is, you know, likely to be wiped out at the next election. And somehow Labour in opposition, and Labour have been, I've been reading the papers over recent weeks, Labour, even today, getting very positive media attention, but still not getting any traction from, from people who are being polled. So um, interesting times ahead of the next election. We've got the locals and the Europeans next year. That's going to be a very interesting one to see if they even have candidates for some of these these areas, um, especially in the Europeans. Like, I, I don't know if you guys have come across the polls or looked into any of the polls yourselves. Yeah, I had a, I mean, I, I saw there wasn't much apart from the the Finnegan and everything in relation to the the, the party numbers. Um, as, I, as I was saying, like the in, interest in terms of where the the public thinks the blame lies in relation to the RTE stuff. So, um, but I suppose like just I suppose, full disclosure uh, to listeners. Um, so ever since Ireland Think started doing polls, I think was it a year or two ago. Uh, I opted in, so I've been getting polls all of the time. So I used to be one of those people who say, "Oh, a pollster never calls me, calls me." Well, now they do all the time. So, um, <laughs> but I suppose just, just like I mean, uh, I don't know if this is kind of like, you know, telling people how the game works, whatever. But um, there was a question in there um, on Friday. The, the poll sent me a text: um, "Are you in favour or against Ireland joining NATO?" But in brackets, in in the question, it said. Um, Ireland is an outlier in 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 most of Europe in terms of not being in or something to that effect. So I mean, leading question again, but it's not published anywhere today. So I suppose curious, Kevin Cunningham can let us know, or anybody around things can let us know. Like, what was the answer to that question? Was the answer not reflective of where people wanted it to be? I mean, obviously we had quite a furor over the the consultative forum and uh, protests that sort of culminated in Dublin there at the start of the week. Um, but yeah, so just wondering where, where that question went. Yeah, wait, Glenn, are you saying that a leading question mightn't actually have worked there and they decided not to publish it? Is that what you're saying? I couldn't there? possibly comment. I, did, I didn't couldn't see ha- the results. But, um, <laughs> Fair. So, or, or, otherwise, are they, are they just asking questions to not publish just to kind of build up their own internal pieces of information? I'm not sure, but like, surely if you're asking a question of that nature, you should be publishing the answer. Yeah. I mean, if the question, I'm just reading it here, the question that they asked was, should Ireland join NATO brackets, a common defence pact between almost every European country in the US? Close brackets, question mark. I mean, it's a loose description of NATO there. Common def- defence pact. Ask the people of Libya if NATO is a defence pact. Do you know? Like it's, uh, Interesting. They, didn't put, they, they don't put in um, how many deaths uh, this can be linked to NATO in that question, no? No, no. It's part of that description, no? No, but not at all. You were you. I mean, the point you made offline, Gibbo. Actually, if you if you ask that question in relation to collective bargaining, for example, like every country in Europe has collective bargaining rights. Even Britain um, have collective bargaining rights. Like who are outside of the process, we don't. So you never see a an Ireland thinks or any poll question that says should Ireland have collective bargaining rights and trade union representation rights brackets like every other country in mm-hmm. Europe has closed brackets. We don't get that sort of leading question on the other side. So it's just it's an interesting way of framing the question. It's peer pressure. It's like, you know, we're all we're, we're all going down to have a few cans later. All of us are going. Are you sure you don't want to come? Like yeah. almost <laughs> almost everyone actually almost every <laughs> other country in Europe. They don't list the countries that are in it. You know, the fact that NATO is 
predominantly occupied by colonial powers of past and present. And now Ireland, who was, you know, at the subject of some of those colonial powers, is uh, being influenced to become part of that colonial process. It's a, uh, it's very, uh, it's very stark and very depressing to see the way that the media and the politicians have been framing these NATO um, discussions in recent months and, and years. And I was having this conversation with a. a uh, a trade union friend of mine the other day just about the whole um, peace um, you know the pe- the people calling for peace are the enemies of the of the world now at the moment anyone who takes the position mm-hmm. that NATO um, is a bad thing and that Ireland needs to remain neutral they are being portrayed as pariahs and the people who are calling for more investment in, in arms more investment in military projects more investment in uh, companies that are in, you know, providing ammunition that's killing ordinary working people all across the world. They are the peace dwellers. They are the ones that are getting the sympathetic media. It's, um, you know, we brought this podcast about nearly three years or over three years ago now to, to sort of do an analysis of how the media frames these things and how we get a hegemony around this stuff. And I think it's been an interesting six, actually more, just the last 12 months or so has been very interesting to see how NATO has been framed in this country in particular because, um, uh, you know, historically we have been neutral, but the way our neutrality is constantly under attack the last number of months is just incredible from all sides. You know, this nonsense forum that they've held where every every person is compromised by, you know, like it's like a like a, a bunch of billionaires sitting around talking about poverty. It's just so sickening to see, um, the way it's being portrayed but yeah it's it's just mad that they think they just get away like just do that and like oh the the common people won't notice do you know what i mean like like i i and and interesting enough in the business post anyway it's not actually covered there's nothing about like that kind of neutrality piece but there is a piece on nato um of course they got that one in of course uh the new um head of the commission in Europe, uh, they do that rotating president of the EU, sorry, um, is the Spanish, um, it's from Spain, Ion uh, de la Riva. And he said, he made made it a point um, in his new, uh, to start of his new presidential campaign is as part of the, the EU. He says, you know, that Europe needs to take more responsibility for its own defence and believes Ireland must update its position on neutrality. So like, is his whole next six months now just going to be set on the agenda of like, right, this is it. We're getting Ireland in, you know, talking about defence. So if that's if that's how he's starting off, then we can only be sure that this is going to continue to ramp up on the pressure on Ireland in both in Europe as well around joining NATO. So you know, and, and again, as I said, nothing much uh, on anything to do with neutrality. Although they did get um, a little dig in on about um, Claire Daly and Mick Wallace, of course, uh, in the Business Post while they're at it, but it was more around elections. But of course, they made sure to mention about them being controversial about xyz so you know um about their positions on war and neutrality and stuff so yeah you can i think the business post has laid out its position anyway just mm-hmm. so can... yeah i think that interesting that the piece with the ambassador famous last words are you know, like just like screenshot this or timestamp or whatever you want to say because he's sort of saying that like they got snap elections in spain soon enough and he's basically saying look at there's not going to be any shock results here we're going to return a nice neocon washington friendly government don't you be worrying um but anybody who's been looking at elections across europe would say you'd be daft to make any such bet i mean the far right has surged in greece the afd is obviously the, is surging in germany you've got maloney in italy 
Um, and I think some of the regional elections that the far right Spain have already done quite well. Um, so I mean, like, I'd be I'd be I'd be interested to see uh, what what his reflections on the elections are in in, in a few months' time there. Um, and as you say, uh, Dave, we've got elections coming up here in a year. Um, God knows what will happen between now and a year's time. But I know I know sometimes we can kind of be a little bit of an outlier when we don't get pulled in by either extremes um, with, with elections. Um, but it would not surprise me to see a small handful of absolute head the balls on the council next year. Um, and we're going to have to contend with the fact that, I mean, the left has retreated from the anti-war space and has allowed the right to move into that. Um, and I mean, the, there used to be some sort of a firewall between like the far right and kind of the centre right. And that seems to be completely collapsed. It's, it's very difficult to know where the centre right and the far right actually stop and stop and start if you get me. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it, yeah. it's a worrying election for next year. I'm very concerned about them getting a the platform because it's uh, like a, not that long ago, the AFD had no you know presence really. But once you get your foot in the door of councils and getting into parliaments and getting the voice heard, that's when we see traction. And so I'd be yeah. very concerned about that. And then, you know, um, speaking of elections, businesses, this is another one in the Sunday Business Post, Businesses told life under Sinn Féin government won't be that different after all. So um, this is from Killian Woods, a good piece. The, the party, Sinn Féin, claims it will take a radically different approach to the current government. But as it plans uh, for power, it is telling business that life will not be that much different after all. So that's, well, that's, that's concerning because they're running on a platform of change. And if you're not going to change economically uh, what this country is based around, then, it, it, you know, are we really going to see many other changes because socially um we have moved in the right direction you know we saw that together for yes we've seen the repeal of the age we've seen a lot of that stuff happening um moving away from the the church and all the rest of it so it really is economic change that we're we're a lot of people um are looking for as i said 50 percent of workers in this country are earning twenty six thousand euros or less and look at the cost of living in this country you cannot survive. That's you know the, every year the minimum wage is getting closer to the median wage. Like soon enough, the minimum wage is not going to be you know it's going to become the ceiling instead of the floor. And um, it's you know it's very very worrying to see a median wage that low because our our average wage is is far far higher and the gap between the median and the the average wage is is becoming. Um, uh, wider which means we're seeing more equality inequality growing so um i would like to see Sinn Féin stick to you know the economically left of you know center position but it's up to trade unions and the left and progressives to keep them to that point because i know and everybody knows Sinn Féin are being lobbied by governments or by sorry by businesses and corporations and all the rest of it to, to come out with this stuff but it's up to all the rest of us within the trade union movement to do the same back and say sorry not acceptable we want uh, progressive taxation we want the the rich to be able to pay more so that we have a decent society so no oh, it was a, it's an interesting uh, article i think before we came on air glenn you were talking about a traffic light system uh, of some sort that that you saw in one of these business uh, analysis groups yeah that's so it's it's the same piece so it's just um they're obviously whichever uh, pr firm has done this analysis for various companies uh, they just kind of demonstrate how, I suppose, in inverted commas, how business friendly or not business friendly Sinn Féin's policies are. Um, and the only one that has a red light, according to the piece here, is in relation to 
Sinn Féin's position on workers' rights uh, and trade union access and stuff like that. Um, so everything else, well, look, I mean, it could also be a little bit of an agenda that the Business Post is trying to turn potential voters off Sinn Féin, so it's difficult to know. But um, it doesn't, I mean, the, the prevailing sentiment is that, you know, in relation to stuff like housing and uh, dealing with small firms, that they're going to maybe broaden the scope of some things, but that they're not really going to change the trajectory or kind of go, go root and branch or, or or really change the game in relation to some of those things. Um, but obviously, right. I mean, like once, once the election's called and all bets are off, we'd probably be seeing the myth of capital flight on the front of the business post again anyway. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, it's it's. I think we, we, we all know Sinn Féin are going to have to, you know, triangulate in public. It's a case of, how much of how much of it how much of it is genuine triangulating, or how, how much are they gonna be aware of the principles? Like I'm I'm kind of the person who's more worried about Mary Lou McDonald's hanging around with the IIEA than I am with them going to coronations. To be honest with you, you know they seem pretty comfortable with the so-called European projects. Um, but we'll have, we have to wait and see. Maybe, maybe look. At, I mean, to be honest with you, maybe we should have somebody from Sinn Fein on the pod to help us see some of these things out sometime because. You know they're not, they're they're not here. Um, but you know I I you have you have to be a little bit apprehensive. Yeah, well, it's a good thing obviously in that piece about them. Um, Sinn Fein still committing to strengthening collective action and all the rest of it. And it, in fairness as well, Lynn Boylan uh, from Sinn Fein is the one quoted on the the piece about um, Eamon Ryan being sued by Lansdowne Oil and Gas. Um, but the, the strengthening collective action will be significant because, you know, I was saying it earlier, we don't have collective bargaining rights in this country. We had the 1913 lockout, you know, 110 years ago on the basis of the right to trade union representation. And while the rest of the developed world has managed to to win that, we still don't have it in this country. Um, but what, what you could say is my... <laughs> I find it interesting that anyone would come out with an analysis and say that there's a red light for Sinn Féin on this because the EU directive um, on minimum wages and collective bargaining is about to be implemented, hopefully, anyway. Um, and with that, we will be forced to bring in trade union coverage up to 80, 80%. Currently, you know, trade unions have representation for about 30% of Irish workers, but the EU directive says they must bring it up to 80% and implement changes. So it doesn't matter if you're Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Green Party, Labour, whoever it is, they have to implement those pieces of legislation to encourage people to join trade unions. Or well, It might be because they, they, there's a view that Sinn Féin will go above the, the legal floor, whereas if it's one of the others, they'll just do the absolute bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. Well, one way or another, there, there's loopholes and the Irish government proven this in the past over and over again they'll find some way of avoiding and um, having to implement these things so hopefully we have a, a new government that's going going to bring in strong collective bargaining legislation strong trade union representation rights so um have any of you guys got any other stories you wanted to jump in on yeah well i think on the basis of workers uh while we're talking about um workers there's a story actually covered in the business post on um this the struggle of the iceland store workers at the retail store um so for those who are not familiar um a number of the stores essentially have closed overnight um without you know proper due notice to the workers um and this was all while the workers have been raising the fact that there was um, outstanding payments. Uh, they were owed wages. They were owed holiday pay. Um, and yet, yeah, so essentially the, the Iceland stores had chained owner ownership in around February time. 
and since the to an, a previous owner um, and his name is Naeem uh, Maniar and since then uh, there's been a huge breakdown of communication between the company and the workers you know there's been ma- like massive operational um, problems they've had like all of their meat products uh, recalled um, so three months worth of meat frozen meat products recalled due to uh, someone not filling out a piece of paperwork, I believe. Um, so the meat was actually fine, but because of this piece of paperwork, they couldn't they couldn't legally sell it. Um, and then such as they I had believe, no delivery. I believe that is they were coming through uh, Britain after yeah. Brexit. That seems yeah. to be what it was. So. Yeah, because rather than going through. By an EU country, yeah. yeah, rather than going through the north and coming down, I think they could have done, yeah. So, yeah, there's that. There's that. And then there's the fact that they didn't have any deliveries. Um, so I actually went into one of the Iceland stores here in Waterford to, to chat to the workers and they said, oh, apologies now, there's not much in the freezers. And I was only going out to talk to them about the, what was going on. But, like, they were making apologies to customers because they weren't getting deliveries. Um, and this is because this new owner hasn't, hasn't arranged proper deliveries. And sure, with that, obviously, you're going to be eroding your customer base if your products aren't on the, the shelves aside from the fact that all the meat products and everything then had to be withdrawn on top of that but yeah I, I I guess this um so the news has come out that obviously a number of the stores are now occupied by the workers and um, because they haven't been receiving their pay they haven't been receiving any communication as to this um, and they're kind of saying we're staying here until we get what we're owed um, which is great but I, I guess like the workers have been fairly fairly badly treated um, to the point where I think Mick Barry described in the doll as a uh, this new owner is like one of the biggest cowboys since the days of John Wayne, which I got a bit of a laugh out of, but yeah, it just shows you kind of what scale is. But what isn't covered in the article is something that uh, the union that's involved with the, the dispute, the independent workers union have kind of mentioned a couple of times, you know, that there's pretend, it looks like potentially the owner has been moving debts around um, in order not to pay the debts themselves. So like, this owner I mean um, he when he bought Iceland in February he renamed the company to uh, Metron stores one day after he bought it and then said he was seeking protection of you know the company to avoid paying debts to the Project Point Technologies who are owed over 34 million which he also owns Mm -hmm. so he's saying oh we need this this company here avoids needs to um needs protection from this other company, which he also owns because his one of his companies owes debts to the other company. So it's just very interesting. And, you know, it's probably common practice that this kind of thing happens, but it is literally hiding debts. And I'm I'm, I'm sure we're, we're fairly familiar um, here about, you know, what happened with the Debenhams dispute where, you know, uh, assets were moved over to the, the British side of the business and everything to avoid having to pay workers and all of that. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, similar was happening here. Um, and interesting and, enough, and the opposite. Sorry, just because uh, Richard Boyd Barrett raised, raised it in the doll. Two hundred million floating charge of debt was added to the Debenhams workers here from their parent company um, in Britain and in another Debenhams owned company in uh, Denmark. So um, it, it's very similar. I, I read that same mm. bit that you, or that the union pushed uh, the IW a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's thirty six million of debt outstanding on this mm. company and 34 million over 34 million of that is own is by its owner yeah and so yeah it's so he owes debt to himself basically yeah. is and it's this whole rigmarole again so they he's forced us to go into examinership over essentially debts he owes himself so you know and, and so, now has, course, so now he has so now he has an examiner going out and doing his negotiation on his behalf to get lower uh, rents with landlords haggling with creditors and you know avoiding paying staff 
So, yeah. so now he doesn't have to do it himself. He has an examiner to do it for him in order to bring the company back into proper uh, trading. Like that's the aim of it, obviously. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, the minute I saw this breaking the news, I was like, here we go now. This is Devon's proper two. But as we know, it, it like obviously there's differences, but at the same time, you know, what has changed since the last time we've had like big strikes like this? What has actually changed? It, again, the government aren't, prioritizing this and even even had Leo Radker saying you know oh, on the face of it it seems like the workers aren't being uh, are being treated badly what's he going to do about it absolutely nothing um other than a few token words um and it was interesting to see that um as well as that which the story that isn't in the papers is the other um industrial action that happened there on Friday um the unite uh the union washer uh workers were out as well and they actually were showing solidarity for the Iceland workers out in the picket so like the workers themselves are behind each other showing solidarity on the pickets um and and I do find it interesting that the washer uh story isn't covered in the same way that the Iceland story is covered but just because it's not in the papers may as well fill in the listeners about it anyway but I, um if people weren't familiar with the, the unite members in the in the washer services um in local authorities down tools on friday so there was a lot of pickets out across the country um and essentially what they're coming out on is you know that they want changes to the water services framework um which includes you know a commitment to the referendum and this framework um was put forward by the uh, WRC and you know essentially it's been rejected by the workers on the basis that you know there is some elements of it that they want changed um and the local authorities and their representative association are completely refusing to engage with the union with any shortcomings of the framework um and some of the stuff that they're actually asking for you know is is commitment that members transferring to Irish Water or um the their rebranded name sorry uh, Ishkanairan um will retain their public service status um and that you know that they will have the removal of you know service and age barriers if any of those want to be um you know made uh, want to go into redundancy but a key piece of it as well is they want a date and the wording for a referendum um published on you know uh making sure that there's public ownership and management of water enshrined in the constitution and so that's one of the core asks by the workers as well and you know that that the local management uh the local authorities and their representative association are just refusing to discuss this and going forward um so hopefully there's a huge show of uh power across all the local authorities there on friday um and as we've seen like cross cross solidarity there between the iceland workers and the water workers as well so hopefully we'll see that story being covered soon (laughs) but Mm -hmm. i don't know if we leader but we're covering it here yeah just uh, give a comment on the referendum stuff because it's uh i've seen uh people on social media saying that they've got the commitment the unions have got a commitment for a referendum um but nobody has said anything about seeing the wording and that's what's the most important yeah. part of that is the wording because you can make a referendum irrelevant uh, the change to the constitution can be irrelevant if it doesn't have the right wording to it so they need to see that the all of the unions need to come together and demand to see the wording um, of yeah. this um, this proposed referendum, which is supposed to take place. Well, they said it was going to take place this year, and there's no sign of a date being selected. But that's so, it. Like yeah. we we don't want 
just Ishka Naharan enshrined in the constitution. We want public ownership and management of Irish, you know, of water in the constitution. And, you know, that's where I'd say the crunch point is going to come down. They're going to try and twist it around so they can eventually outsource water in whatever way. And I think, I think the, the workers are obviously well aware of what they're at and, you know, that whole enshrinement of, you know, we want, we're, we're public service and we want to continue to be public service. But if they enshrine Irish water and they start outsourcing left, right and centre, then is it, you know, you yeah. know, is it? <laughs> it it'll be it'll be the creation of another commercial semi-state like RTE, and then oh. it won't have the oversight of the Irish government, the controller and auditor general. So we'll have, uh, and of course, if you do that, it's it's another closer step towards privatization. Anyway, we can see, and I'm going to do a special pod. I was actually on the Stevie Nolan from Trademark Belfast and their podcast about this yesterday. We're going to do a special pod on what's going on over in Britain in terms of Thames Water and mm. the privatisation agenda globally and what's happening. So we're going to do maybe a crossover pod between the two of us to discuss some of the that. But um, but this this stuff, as you say, it's, it's so crucial that we get the right wording for this. And there's a reason why Joan Collins put this forward, a specific type of wording in her bill back in 2000 and October 2016. And it passed unanimously through the doll, and they've sat on it ever since. And that's because they don't like the wording of it. The wording is too good. It makes the government responsible for provision of water and the ownership of water. So, um, you know, it's, it's very concerning. And the other thing that you said there, yeah, which about the Iceland stuff, I've been looking at some of this stuff over the last couple of days and couple of weeks as well. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of workers, 400 odd workers who are in a very difficult, precarious situation. Mm. Now. We don't know if they have a job. They don't know whether they're going to get paid they are already owed money um and this is during a cost of living crisis uh, and do you think their landlords are going to go yeah you're all right i realize you work in iceland i'm not gonna i'm not gonna charge you any rents this this month um we don't have that 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 you know situation that safety net for these workers so it's uh, full solidarity to them first of all and mm. particularly for those who are occupying the stores uh, uh, fair play to them but they shouldn't have to do it and as you said michelle like, it's not the first occasion this has happened. We saw debitums in 2020. Strategic insolvencies yeah. have been happening for many, many years. We had the Paris Bakery in 2014. We had Cleary's in 2015. We had Connolly Shoes back in 2008. Like, we, this stuff is happening over and over again. And the Irish government keeps going, oh, it's terrible how these workers are being treated. Well, do something about it. It's as simple as that. Do something about it. Legislate to prioritize these workers as you know, preferential creditors, make sure they get what's owed to them. And um, now to be fair, the examiner in this case, in the Iceland case, doesn't seem to be seeking, you know, pay cuts to the workers or anything of the sort um, at this moment in time. But like if if they want to make sure that this company is viable and sustainable uh, going forward, you know, they're going to have to do something. And I hope they're not going to come after the workers next. But, um, you yeah, know, it's, um, it's very depressing to see this sort of stuff still going on in 2023 over 10 years after this issue of strategic insolvencies was mm. was raised you know um but yeah full solidarity to the workers glenn have you got any more stories or anything you wanted to jump in with no no i would have depressed your your listeners enough for one day <laughs> fair enough we, we did a lot of that but I, i'll finish off my bits with um one piece that i just found of interest uh coveney criticized by Fine Gael supporter for Shine uh, endorsement. This is the um, the retail... Uh, Sheen, I think, is what it's known as on the streets. Oh, sorry, I'm too old for this <laughs> stuff. It's uh, fast fashion. I don't mean... Charlie, no. Fashion. But, uh, Charlie Sheen, fast fashion, yeah. Um, 
But Sheen, right, I got it right there. Uh, but Enterprise Minister Simon Company was criticised by Fianna Gael supporters and branded an absolute disgrace for officially opening a new Irish hub for the controversial fast fashion label last month. Um, now, what I found interesting about this is that Sheen are known for, apparently, their employment rights breaches. So you'd go, well, fire the Fine Gaelers complaining about that because Fine Gael supporters tend to support um, regimes that don't really have good employment uh, uh, practices. Um, if they don't, there's worries about the climate um, and environmental aspect of this company as well. Again, Fine Gael opening data centres to beat the band. Like all of the criticisms that they have of this company, I'm looking at the Irish policies around it, the Irish government policies as implemented by Fine Gael. And I'm not, why do they have a problem with it? Surely the whole party should be over there celebrating the opening of this company if those allegations of employment rights breaches, climate change issues, all of that stuff is true. Then why are Fine Gael supporters objecting to a company that does exactly what they do when they get into a parliament and implement legislation? I just found it a very interesting one that, you know, backbenchers and if Fine Gael supporters decided to criticise Coveney at this particular time in relation to that. So I suspect something else is at play here in terms of what was in the other poll uh, earlier on around the Radcliffe's leadership uh, and a potential challenge to it. And they're saying that Simon Harris is the only real uh, legitimate contender for the prize of leader of Fine Gael. So, yeah, I, I, it's always interesting to read between the lines when you see stories like this, because that's a nonsense thing for, for Fine Gael to be coming out with, saying that they don't like him opening Shine or Sheen or whatever they're called. Um, Does anybody know if if they're materially worse or better than any of the other fast fashion providers? I know, I mean, like, like I just some, and this is not to get you know, I already hear people calling me a China campus, but is any of this like is there selective outrage of Shane because they're Chinese? Is there an element of that? And obviously, more than one thing can be true. I'm not. I'm sure they probably do have some practices that need to be called out and need to be challenged in that. But look, I mean, like that part of the world's like Primark, H and M, they're all at it. Uh, I just, I mean, and maybe I need to read up more, and I would genuinely like to know where Shane any materially worse or better. Well, we're, we're 10 years out from the Rana Plaza disaster. Do you know what I mean? I don't remember the Phoenix Out backbenchers complaining about all of the companies that were in Rana Plaza when the 1,182 workers were crushed to death when that collapsed. And that was Primark, um, or Pennies as we call them. H&M were in there, United Colors of Benetton. All of those companies were in there. You know, we talk about employment practices. 1,182 workers were crushed to death. And I didn't hear a dicky bird from Fine Gael or saying, it's terrible that these companies are on our high streets. Not, uh, I was at the Rana Plaza Memorial protest after it happened up at the top of Grafton Street. Wasn't a single Fine Gaeler there. But here they have a concern all of a sudden because there's a Chinese company coming in and, and Fine Gael minister is opening the, or cutting a ribbon. Like, that's why I'm saying it's nonsense. That's why I'm saying read between the lines. There's, there's something else at play here. Fine Gael backbenchers care nothing for employment rights around the world. Otherwise, they'd be out at these protests constantly. But now they all of a sudden have a problem with Minister Coveney opening a company's headquarters. You know, Fine Gael are the Invest in Ireland party. And here they are objecting to a major international player investing in Ireland. So something's up. Um, anyone else want to jump in with anything or will I wrap it up? Well, I just had one last story just to, you know, finish off this whole pod about 
you know neoliberalism and pri- how like this government loves private companies but I, I guess it's the selling off again of which we've covered on this um pod before but the selling off of AIB again um we've just seen another five percent go uh sold off to private interests um from so now actually AIB is with the government own less than 50% for the first time um, since we bailed them out, um, which is really, you know, it's really concerning. We only we only own 47% of it. And of course, the plan is to sell it all off. And, you know, it's it's amazing the way this is written, like because it's like in the business post, because it's like, you know, we have to sell now because the market's at its highest. And, you know, it's 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 uh, turning over so much money with all these high interest rates. We're benefiting so much from making profit because of the high interest rates. So, you know, they're like, oh, we better move quickly and sell it all off before that starts to slow down and not rob money out of people's pockets, literally, to pay this bank even more money. Like, I just, I I actually just don't, I don't know. But anyway, essentially, they're trying to sell it off as quickly as possible can, can to get get the bank stake down to zero um, before uh, the before interest rates stop increasing. <laughs> I know, before we bail them out again. But like, they're talking about, you know, that there's probably going to be two or three further rate rises to come in the second half of this year. So they're trying to kind of sell it off quickly before they see the impact of that, you know. But at the same time, AIB is at its most profitable. Like, yes, obviously, they're obviously robbing people with interest rates based on the ECB. But why? <laughs> like, that could be public money, you know. It's just it's so short term just to see it like sold off um in drips and drabs um for the sake of a, a quick book when the long term here is you know this could be a public good this bank could be a public good and we're selling it off and now we're less than 50 percent and the plan is to own zero percent stake in it it's just really worrying to see like that attitude go you know towards banks and towards public services but it's nothing it's nothing new we've talked about it all through this pod about how the government approaches this but just wanted to note it again because I, I think it's extremely worrying because you know now we don't have a majority stake in that bank so you know potentially we'll start seeing decisions being made that aren't in the public interest like you know we had pushed back there was it just last year about you know AIB store banks um actually be you know the tre- threatened closure because it wasn't you know didn't see it as a financially viable way to do but actually that was a public service and communities for people People to have access to those um, bank services so it is worrying to see where this could go now and um, we don't have a majority stake and we're going to have zero um, and what that what that's going to mean for us um, banking in the future yeah I, I, I do I have big concerns about the framing of this because it's been going on for years as well as like oh it's really bad for the Irish government or for the state to have investments in banks like we just need to get out of there it's awful because as you say making too much money and that money, when they're giving out dividends, where does it go? It goes to the state where we can invest in healthcare and housing and education and all the things that we need. So it is worrying to see the framing of it. But mm. yeah, I, I I I agree with you. You know, I there's two things there. You know, that giving up the majority stakeholder is a big issue, but the timing of it is really uh, what interests me as well. Are they trying to do this before the next election? Give away yeah. as much. Um, as they can in case somebody else comes in who actually believes in a state bank being necessary. You know, yeah. the, the big dividends that are being made and, you know, they're blaming the central bank for increases in interest rates. You know, technically what AIB could be doing with that money is giving it back to the mortgage holders um, through different mechanisms. Do you know what I mean? They could be given 
rebates of some sort if they wanted to. Uh, and that would help tackle some of the cost of living crisis that a lot of people are facing. So um, it's 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 fascinating to see the way the 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 media and by extension then the well I, I don't know which way it extends but the political establishment saying yeah um let's give up all of our stake in this highly profitable enterprise like it's just nuts so um right I'll wrap it up on that then unless Glenn you have anything I think you're you're all good um oh, all good. this has been the week of work I've been your host David Gibney I want to thank my co-host Glenn Fitzpatrick and Michelle Byrne for joining me today um the week at work is part of Left Block as I said earlier on please take a look at us on patreon.com forward slash left block. Share the pod, um, help us out, send us some money. We do not have one of those burst-free accounts or whatever they're called that RTE use. Um, all our uh, finances go towards um, events like we're about to host in Inish Ear in um, the second weekend, I think it is, of September. So put that in your diary if you're a Patreon, you're following us and supporting us, that the tickets will be coming out in the next week to two weeks first for patrons and then for everybody else. Uh, we've got some big name speakers um, attending the island um, and it should be a good event again. I think we've got 140 tickets this time, 150 tickets or so rather than the 100 that we had last year. So a little bit more demand. And um, we've, we've, we've sought another venue, the larger venue over on the island as well. So yeah, um, do what you can to support us, share and the usual stuff. And we'll talk to you all next time.